whichever ever we 60s late 50s or, or kind of came of age around then but it it's brilliant and i would have sworn that that you would have gotten that reference now you told me about it um a year or so ago okay and i still haven't got around to listening to it because again the here's the thing if i look at the runtime on a movie and it says three hours i'm out yeah that's why you I've, haven't watched the Irish. Yeah, I've not got that kind of time in my life to spend on stuff. But it, if your Facebook post is more than twenty-five words, I'm out. Well, give it a shot because really, it's not so much a song as it is an Americana story set to music. You know, it, it's basically him telling two separate stories over the course of one song, and it's very funny, and it's just it it's great. Okay, and you're missing out. Well, speaking of redemption. <laughs> Weird segue. <laughs> so, when the Drew Estate Freestyle Live kits came out this year, I purchased one. That was when they were doing all of the online events, right? Right. So, the Freestyle Live thing is a great way to launch Cigars Drew Estate does. They put these kits out there. The cigars are unbanded. They don't tell anybody what they are. And they... Um, you buy the Freestyle Live kit, and it comes with some swag and the cigars. And then they do the big reveal online of what the cigars are is their big deal. So I bought it. I smoked the cigar, and I wasn't impressed. Well, then it comes out, okay, it's the Blackened, mm-hmm. and it's Metallica and James and uh, James Hatfield from Metallica. And Jonathan Drew. We talked about this on the show. Was it our first show back, or was it the one that we did back in the spring? Somewhere in there. I remember us talking about it on the show and and being intrigued enough to give it a shot. Well, no, I decided I hated it. Okay. Because I I don't care for Metallica and James Hetfield at all. He can be a bit of a blowhard. He's the modern-day Gene Simmons. I wouldn't go that far. Oh, yeah. With all of their stuff, he's the modern-day Jensen. I do not care for him. And I don't like pretentious cigars. Okay. And you just assume his pretentiousness would bleed over. I his pretentiousness would lead into the cigar, and it would be pretentious. But because I'm a, a cultured person... This is your opportunity to say intellectually honest because you do it every episode. Sure. I'm trying to work around. Right. I'm trying not to say that and okay. all It's interesting. And it's interesting. I'm trying to work around expand my vocabulary. But anyway, um, the cigars come in. Now, have you looked at the price of these cigars? I haven't. What would you think, that the, and not knowing that I've already prepped you a little for this, right? what would you think that a James Hetfield Metallica Jonathan Drew collaboration cigar would set you back in the year 2022? You, you know, it's funny because... Typically, these collaborations, you know, we've talked about on the show for many years, you've got a lot of pipers to pay. Right. But at the same time, with more and more of these celebrities getting, putting their name and their label on cigars, we're seeing that they're not, it, it's not going that way. I would still expect it to be about a $12 cigar, but, you know, three years ago, I'd have said 16 So, I expected this to be a 16 to $20 cigar all day long. Yeah. I go in there, and they're between 9 and $11. Not bad. And I said, and actually to the point that I said to Monty, I said, Monty, check the price on those blackens and be sure y'all got the right price on the box, because I'm concerned that, Seems you, low. 
yeah, it seems low for that cigar. And he checks it and he checks the info. He says, yeah, that's exactly what they cost. So I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a second shot. I just smoked the Freestyle Live one. I hadn't smoked the regular release yet. So tonight I'll be smoking the Blackened. Churchill, and, it looks like. Yeah, the Churchill. The Seven Corona Doble, as they refer to it. All right. Seven by 50. Because, solely because... I admire that they tried with the price, that they went the extra mile to actually try to make the price reasonable. So that's what I'm going to smoke tonight. All right. Well, while you get that lit up, uh, so I went into the humidor tonight looking for something specifically kind of different because one of the things I love about this shop is how much of the humidor is dedicated to AJ Fernandez cigars. And I think for the last three episodes, I've smoked something at least tangentially related to AJ. And, or, or at least right before, right after the show. And I'm trying to branch out. So I went and I grabbed Aganorsa Leaf. And this is one I haven't had. This is the, the validation. And it is a Nicaraguan uh, binder and filler encased in an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. You know, so right in my wheelhouse from the recipe. Colorado wrapper, or uh, Colorado, oh wait, no, it's a color. Colorado, I don't know. I guess that's gold. Um, anyway, so I'm... I've always been a big fan of Aganorsa, especially since they rebranded and relaunched, what was it, maybe three and a half, four years ago? Yeah, about there. And I just, I've, I'm really happy with everything that comes out of that factory. The cold draw on this one was a little tight, so I'm a little nervous going into it. But at the same time, I've, they've never gone wrong with me before. So, the, And this specifically is the Habano. They almost grabbed the Maduro, but this seemed in that kind of, Medium to medium full, which is usually a good spot for me when I'm when we're doing this. Aganors is a tough brand for me because they're not good enough to be a high end cigar, but they're not bad enough to be a low end cigar, and they don't fit my palate enough to be a workhorse cigar. You know what I'm saying? If, if that makes any sense at all, it does. You know, but I remember when the Guardian of the Farm first came out, you couldn't get enough of that cigar. Yeah, good cigar and the Cerebus. I've smoked several of the Cerebus. Really liked them. Um, I smoked a box of the Night Crawlers. It took me two years, but I smoked a box of the Night Crawlers. And all good sticks, but they kind of just—I don't know. You know, they don't attract me when I walk in the humidor. I think the price point being right around $10 is a good spot for them. I don't think they're going to win, you know, Cigar of the Year anytime soon at, at the section of the market that they're targeting. But for where they fall in the humidor, I think it's really hard to go wrong. I think the hard part is that they just have so much variety to choose from. Now, have you had the Anniversario Maduro? I have. I had that a little bit ago. A excellent cigar. Mm. We, we smoked that one at the show because we had had the Anniversario regular, and then we um, smoked that one at the show, and we said, yeah, we're definitely bringing that in. And now, and I'll tell you, well, you know, we'll talk about this here after this next article. The rep for a cigar company makes all the difference in the world. Oh, for sure. How hard the rep is willing to work, how, you know, how engaged he is with the customer, how engaged he is with the clientele, makes all the difference in the world. And I will say the Aganorsa rep, he engages. Yeah. He's right there. He almost is a little too engaging at some point, 
every cigar smoker in the country who is a regular at a cigar shop knows that their shop has one section of the humidor dedicated to a cigar brand that really nobody smokes, but everyone likes the rep. Like, that's been that's been a staple of every cigar shop I've ever been a part of. Yeah, it's it's inter- it's a fascinating art thing that happens. <laughs> it's contemplative. Contemplative. It's fascinating how that happens because, yeah, we've got a brand of cigars here, and the only reason those cigars sell as well here as they do is because the rep is a regular here. Right. He's one of our buddies. He's in there with us, and and... To, but now he doesn't rest on his laurels. No. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't say, okay, I'm in here, you know, a couple of times a week. That's good enough. He's always doing something, doing a tasting, doing, you know, discussions about it. He's always interacting about it. Right. You know, if he, if he had if he had the time, the hours in the day to spend at every shop that he does here, he'd, he'd be a millionaire. Yeah. But anyway, okay. So... Very Aganor Salif I like them And I probably should smoke more of them But just every time I reach for one I think of something else I'd rather have That's fair Right off the right off the top I'm enjoying this It's not nearly as strong as what I typically smoke But it's You know I've got I've got a cup, cup of coffee here right now And it's it, they're playing really nicely together Now is the coffee good? Is the coffee strong enough for you? The coffee is is good It was you know, cigar shop coffee is is hit or miss. You know, and this this gets it done. It's strong. It's a bit stronger than I prefer. There's, you don't drink just a whole lot of coffee, no. right? So, two or know, three cups a year. When, you know, when when Starbucks was first making an appearance, you know, and becoming ubiquitous all over the country, there became this trend towards strong coffee. And strong coffee is good, and it's certainly better than what our grandparents drank. But there is a difference between similar to cigars, right? You can just put way too many coffee grounds right. in a pot and make a strong cup of coffee that doesn't taste good. Sure, there's a there's a balance that has to be struck, and I, I find cigar shop coffee is often very hit or miss. Oftentimes you just get the old guys who want nothing but strong for the sake of strong and it it's bitter and I'd almost rather just lick that ashtray. Yeah. This isn't that. This is really good. So, so from Cigar Aficionado, EP Carrillo Allegiance heading to stores. So we were at the show and they had the Allegiance there but they did not have the Allegiance there. You could look at it, but you couldn't smoke it. Yeah, they had the boxes, they had the wrappers, they had everything, but they did not physically have the cigar to put into our hand to smoke. So we ended up not ordering from E.P. Carrillo because it's like I told Mark while we was there, I said, okay, so the Encore and the... um, The Encore and the uh, Pledge were both number one cigars of the year. Right. And this is in that same series, the the Allegiance is. So there's a good chance that this is, you know, that they made a three-deal purchase for number one cigar of the year from Aficionado. You think and the fix is in? I think the fix is in. I think this is going to be in the top five. Now, so the, the La Astoria, when it came out, also made a, made a punch in the, I think it was in the top five. Yeah, I think it was three. Yeah. You know... 
and I smoked it. I've, I've smoked all of theirs that have that have come through the list in recent years, and you know they're very good. I I don't think it's they're you know they're not running a a, a three legged horse in the race. Right. You know they they brought something competitive to the to the to the table. I, so I I don't necessarily know that I would say the fix is in if clearly they have found. Let's play devil's advocate a little bit. Okay. They have found the palette of the review board. Okay. You know, and they're operating, these are in a series, they're operating within an established recipe, and it could just be that they're playing to the home crowd. It could be. But what makes me suspicious, because I told Mark, I said, well, if we order a couple of boxes of it and go ahead and get on the list for it to get here, then if it gets number one, we got a couple of boxes to sell. And they'll sell out immediately. And they'll sell out because it's number one, and that's right. what people will buy. But we couldn't cu- couldn't bridge the gap of buying ten boxes of a cigar neither one of us had ever smoked. Right. It's that's a that's a tough putt. So I honestly think the fix is in. All right. I honestly think that EP Creo, um, rather than the palette of the judges, they found the checkbook of the editors. And said, okay, how much advertising have we got to buy in Aficionado to run three cigars number one each year? And just to throw people off, let's run one at number three. Just to throw people off. We don't want them to know that the fix is totally in. You know, I, I, I love to play the how much did the number one spot cost in Aficionado game as much as the next person. But, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. We're only about two weeks away from them, from the start of, of when they start releasing from 25 on up. So we'll, we'll get our answer soon enough. Yeah, they're going to start talking about it pretty quick. So moving forward, Crowned Heads. Crowned Heads, Tennessee Waltz, and Yellow Rose of Texas return to the shelves. And um, I'll be honest, I didn't know they were gone. Yeah, I, I have noticed that. You know, I think the... You know, they started doing the the lawless days where you could buy them even if you weren't in the region. and it, And I think they probably overextended not only their capacity for production because according to Huber it was they couldn't get the Connecticut Broadleaf wrappers for them because the the Waltz and the Yellow Rose are the same cigar just different sizes right the same recipe anyway and but I think they got white hot as people were suddenly able to get a great cigar that they couldn't normally get but I just don't think it had the longevity of staying as popular as it was when there's so much else coming to the shelves and and, and if you don't stay yeah the exclusivity of the tennessee waltz was part of its party piece and i i think they maybe gilded the lily a little on that one but i have noticed it's not been nearly as prevalent as it once was see but now a crowned head's not being in the humidor is not going to ever affect my life because i'm not a big crowned heads fan and the rep for our local area has never even visited this store, which is less than 40 miles from his home. Right. And so it's no small wonder all of his cigars have been put in the discount bin and clearanced out of this store. Yeah. Solely because he hadn't visited. You know, and that's that's a tale as old, of to- as, old as time in this industry. But why is that? Why would you not take 30 minutes and drive down the road... 
And, you know, why would you not take care of the easy ones? I understand if I was in Nome, Alaska, I wouldn't complain about the Crown Heads rep not coming to see me. I wouldn't complain about any reps not coming to see me. Right. But when I'm a stone's throw, when I guarantee you he drives past here in to go order wherever to, he's going. Right. In order to get some others to some other stores, why would you do that? What's the motivation? I I couldn't tell you. Certainly wouldn't want to speculate where I'm being recorded, but I can tell you my opinion after we're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's one of the reasons that I didn't notice they were gone. Yeah. That makes that makes perfect sense. And I do like the waltz, and I still, I think I still have half a box of yellow rose that have been aging for about four years in my humidor. I ought to whip one of them out and smoke it. Yeah, I bet it's good. It may be. It may be good. I may have to bring us a couple of those next week and I should try them. But I just, I don't get it. I don't get why, if you're a rep, you don't. You know, it's customer service is everything. Right. On my way here, I had a flat on my camper. And it had a screw in the tire, and I took the tire off, put the spare on. So on my way here, I had dropped off um, my camper tire at Tire Discounters down here. Yeah. And when I came in there, and I recognized they didn't get into business to fix one flat camper tire at a time. Right. And that's why I went to them, because when I bought four new tires for my truck, I bought them there. Right. So I said, okay, they're going to know this. Go in there. He looks me up. He says, yep, got it right here. Let's fix this tire for you. Calls me, says the tire's ready. I come and get the tire. No charge. And wow. I said, but that's not the tire I bought from you. He said, don't care. Didn't take us long. You, you showed us exactly where the screw was that was in it. Didn't take us long. We'll fix it for you. Now, the next be- next tires that I buy for my truck. It'll be there. They'll be, they'll, they'll be first shot. Yep. And what would they have charged me? Ten bucks? Right. Because it was just a plug? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, five or ten bucks. Well worth it for them. And I think that's something that cigar, especially in the cigar business, you better really be on top of. Oh, for sure. So let me tell you about the blackened. Um, it's not terrible, and it's not offensive to my palate. But it's not that good either. Yeah. I, I respect what they did with the pricing of it. But I, I don't know anybody, and I know the palate of a lot of the people in here. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people in here will say, hey, Shane, go to the humidor and get me something I like. Right. And my batting average on that's at about 96%. Um, uh, excluding my wife, about 96% of the time when somebody says, hey, Shane, go get me a cigar you think I like, I'll get it, bring it to them, and they'll like it. Yeah, otherwise you just put it on your shelf, and then eventually that... Right, eventually she'll take it, and then it won't matter. <laughs> she listens to this every week, and I'm glad she doesn't listen to it sitting next to me. But <laughs> You'd have a big old bruise on your arm if you did. But I can't think of a person in here whose palate this cigar is going to hit. Now, what is it about it? Is, it? is it just not nuanced enough in flavor, or is it too harsh? So if you take the Undercrown, yeah. it's lighter than that. Okay. And it has less of the oaky whiskey that the Pappy has. All right. Has less of that to it. Um, It's blended well, but to be as dark a cigar as it is, it's super mild. Okay. And mild to the point of unremarkable. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking about yours? I'm really enjoying this. It's, It's the same kind of thing, though. It's a little on the mild side. 
and I'm not on a fresh palate tonight, so that may have something to do with it, but it's, it doesn't, you know, when I first smoked the Guardian of the Farm, when I first smoked uh, the anniversary that they put out, you know, I was, I was instantly going, okay, I see what they're doing here. I, I don't feel that about this one. I, it's a, it's a good cigar. Don't get me wrong, but I don't really know what they were this is going to sound bad I don't know what they were thinking when they blended it so I'm going to use a term here that we've never used on the show before I'm fairly sure alright that is a core line cigar and when we went to the show that was a big deal was okay we want you to carry three of our core line mm-hmm. and then if you carry three of our core line you get some of the stuff that right you can seek. order the good stuff yeah which is odd that they would do it that way. To me, if you have the ability to make a good cigar and sell a good cigar, why make a bad cigar and sell it in order to sell the good one? Well, you and I both know a handful of shops that really market themselves on being not only a boutique shop, but a, a well-curated boutique shop. And that's becoming more and more the the realm that people are trying to operate in in certain markets and so what would happen if you didn't force the core line purchase to to get the better stuff is people would only purchase select cigars in small quantities and it's it's a numbers game yes but your core line can be good yeah and your core line can even be excellent if you have the ability to make a good cigar, make a good cigar. You know, Perdomo. Right. Perdomo's core line is great. Right. Now, we've talked about Perdomo. They're not going to knock your socks off, but their core line's great, almost to the point that their higher-end stuff is not as good because their core line's so good. They're, the gap between the core line and the premium Perdomo is razor thin. Probably thinner it, it, than any cigar in the industry. It is, but I don't. I wouldn't even go so far as to say this is a, this is bad or or not good in the core line. I think this you know, this falls in that it would not be a workhorse for my palate but that's what your core line is. Your core line regardless of the company you are is made up of workhorse cigars most of the time. And probably that's how we need to phrase it is one of the gauges of a cigar company needs to be how far is the distance between the core line and the premium. Right. How, how far is that? But now you've got LFD. There is, I don't think there is a core line F- LFD. I'm sure there is, but when you have such a hard time filling orders as they do, everything becomes an exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and like there's no core line Padron. No. Not and, the 1000 series. Uh, I, d- I don't think so. I think the 1926 and the 64 drives the Padron. And you bring in the thousand. I don't think they have to push a thousand series. Well, I, yeah, but but Perdomo is the exception that proves the rule in pretty much every metric for a cigar manufacturer. But you look at a company like Fuente, the gap between their core line and their premium is a chasm, probably the biggest but, in the industry. But now, are you saying that's a good thing? No, I'm just saying it's an interesting metric. Okay. As we're talking about cigars and everything, I think that's a metric that we've never really explored that over the course of the next couple of weeks, we probably should explore that metric just a little more deeply. Yeah, I'm all for that. 
So I think that'll be interesting. But right now, let's explore the metric of a break. All right, let's do it. Well, we'll be back with more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man who adopted a Galapagos on November 27th, Mr. Trey Dedman. <laughs> okay, so I've I seen this article. Never adopt a pet with a longer life expectancy than you have. So National Turtle Adoption Day was November 27th. Coincidentally, National Make Out Your Will Day was November 28th. <laughs> well... Here's the thing. Here's, here's first and foremost, this is how I visualize that happening. Uh, we have the National Turtle Day rep- representative. Please step up here and explain to us. Members of Congress, there are so many turtles that outlive their owners. We need to adopt turtles. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, I, I picture him talking real slow. Yeah, that that, that, that was evident. It, it, it makes for great podcast content when you speak like that, by the way. Either that or some really, really rich guy that's super into turtles set up a shell company and got this pushed. Was that pun intended? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've been working on that joke all day. I expect to laugh. <laughs> you'll laugh and you'll like it. <laughs> but what's the deal with all these national days? Why does everything have to have... And what's the process? What's the process of getting a day set up? If I wanted to have a national size 10 and a half wide shoe day, what would I have to go through? You're, you're not going to like the answer to this, but I happen to know. You need a marketing team. So I listened to a podcast called The Ralph Report. It's Ralph Garman, formerly of K-Rock and the Kevin and Bean Show. And, and one of the daily gambits they have is, is a holiday or holiday. Basically, every day of the year has some sort of dubious connection to some sort of holiday. You know, talk like a pirate day or, you know, national leggings instead of pants day, whatever. And a remarkable number of them are simply drummed up by a marketing firm for some company that's known for whatever the item that's being highlighted that day is. So I'm sure World Wildlife Fund or, or, or someone probably set this up. But you might be surprised to know I have a turtle fact that I just learned that I think you'll find interesting. Do you know how you can... Want to bet? <laughs> well, you think everything on this show is interesting, so <laughs> the odds are in my favor. If, you, if you're talking about how to sex a turtle, I think it's dinner in a movie. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> Very gently. No. Uh, did you know that, much like deciduous trees, you can tell the age of a turtle by the rings on its shell? Like, it, the shell grows incrementally, and you can actually count the rings on a turtle shell and figure out how old they are. Okay, but don't they... So the shell just gets thicker as they get older? Yeah, so the shell is an extension of their skeletal system. So they're, they're, it's bone. And so, yeah, it grows incrementally to increase with size as they do. I, we took, we were in North Georgia for Thanksgiving. And so last Saturday, we took the day and went up to the aquarium. And they have a couple of real uh, t- turtles older than I am. Sure. And it was, and that was, I, I never knew that. 
I've been going to zoos and and aquariums and the like my whole life. I never knew that that's how you could tell how old a turtle was. I don't understand snake people. I don't understand turtle people. I don't understand ferret people. I don't understand people. I mean, hey, let's just kid, especially monkey people. I don't want my pet to have thumbs. <laughs> um, let's keep the pets. Dogs and, if you must, cats, but I'd prefer to get cats off the list, too. Well, so we went through this discussion in my house about a year ago and because my daughter was, was just desperate for another, for another pet, and this was before Oscar left us. So we already had a, a dog in the house, and so it was a matter of trying to... A 95-pound dog at that. So trying to come up with a pet that was you know suitable to not being maimed and, and killed instantly and one of the th- you know birds and reptiles and things kept coming up on the list and I adopted a rule in our house which is pets have four legs and fur like that's the baseline we want to talk about ferrets yeah. and things like that that we, we can come up with different classifications to get those off the list too because they stink and they're ugly they're just glorified weasels but we now own a guinea pig, so. <laughs> well, it is four legs and fur. She yeah. did catch you on a technicality yeah, there. Yeah. You know what? I love the guinea pig. Guinea pigs, I, I've, I never had one growing up. We never had a class guinea pig, but they're actually pretty cool. They say they're delicious. I've heard that. The Argentinians I, eat them, and they say they're amazing. In Peru, they eat them a lot, too. And In fact, my parents were in Peru about a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, before pre-pandemic, but and every roadside diner in Peru sold guinea pig, and they never tried one, and I was a little disappointed because I wanted to know. I wouldn't want to try one that I knew personally, but maybe a no. stranger. Yeah, don't tell me its name. Yeah, yeah, just don't show me a before one. picture. Just yeah, bring I, it out on the plate. But yeah, I would, much to my daughter's chagrin, I would like, I would like to see if it's. I, I imagine it's similar to to squirrel. Got to be. Got a chicken of the trees. Yeah. So, so, staying with our animal hunk. Up in smoke, gophers light up victory cigars in visitors' locker room after win over Wisconsin. This is from Yahoo News. And I actually, I thought it was from the Sportster or something, but it just says Pioneer Press, St. Paul, Minnesota. So, the Golden Go- So, first and foremost, we do talk about sports, but I try not to get carried away on the sports talk around here. Right. But it seems like every week there's another team lighting up victory cigars. Well, this I just seen gophers light up cigars. You're not thinking of about uh, <laughs> yeah. you're not thinking of the golden gophers. So I'm thinking four or five gophers <laughs> sitting around <laughs> covered in fur, chubby, holding a cigar in their mouth. I thought that would be a great idea. It reminds me of the signs you see at, at resorts in the flower beds oftentimes about not throwing your cigarette butts in the flower beds because the we're trying to get the birds to quit. Yeah. <laughs> Along those same lines, but and by the way, I apologize. When we did this article the time before about Miami and whoever they were playing, turns out that's a gigantic game for for what, for everybody around there. Yeah, we did get that's the most feedback I think we've ever gotten on a segment on this show. And I, I want to be clear, I was, I'm well aware of the of the magnitude of the game. It was really the cigar, the victory cigar tradition that we were calling into question more so than it was the... Well, I had no idea of the magnitude of the game because, you know, if it's not SEC, it's hard for me yeah. to... But it, it's up there with, with Army-Navy and, and that... Yeah. But this is a, it was funny because this article made me think, 
What animal would look best smoking a cigar? See, and it, it's funny how how different our approach to this hypothetical was. Because you immediately went to an animal that would look good smoking a cigar. And I really was more along the lines of kind of the, the odd juxtaposition of seeing a panda with a cigar. Yeah. I think that would be great. You know, I'm, all, I'm about, I think a gorilla or a bulldog are two great cigar smoking animals. Well, all, all, you don't even need just a whole lot of Photoshop skills to turn Winston Churchill into a bulldog, and then there you go. <laughs> or gorilla. Yeah, or, well. <laughs> and uh, with the, the picture of Jack Nicholson in here smoking the cigar. Mm-hmm. He, you know, the movie Wolf, they had the lowest special effects budget ever. They just said, hey, Jack. Kind of look like a wolf. He said, okay. <laughs> and he did, which was kind of amazing to me. But I don't know. I was just thinking about what animal. If you, if you get on our page on our Instagram or Facebook and you have a good picture of a crazy animal smoking a cigar, shoot that to us. I'd like to see. I'd like to get some of those. Have you, were you familiar at all with the, it was, it was kind of white hot for a minute a few months ago about the AI programs that you could just type a string of words in and it would create an amalgamation of a photo based on the words. When we when we wrap up here tonight, I'm going to have to type gorilla smoking a cigar into one of those and see what it gives us. I, I need platypus. Platypus? But, you know, I got, a, I got a thing for platypi. It's funny. I notice a trend with all of the animals that you select have big lips. Well, platypi have a bill. Well, yeah, but it's still the 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 mouth hole is well well appointed on all of the all of the because animals. Because we put a cigar in it. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not say, suggesting like a hornbill or a you know a pelican or something. Yeah, like an eagle with a cigar would look terrible. No, it there's would look, no way you could make an eagle look good with, with a cigar in its mouth. That's funny. And also, anyway. All right, that was we, we killed enough time on that. Now I get to make fun of you. Um, this is from What's On at My London News. Hundreds of only fools and horses memorabilia being auctioned off from Del Boy's iconic cigar jar to Trigger's inflatable dolphin. Okay, I read that phrase, and then I reread that phrase. Those are certainly all words. Yeah, and then I reread <laughs> that phrase again, and I thought, okay. And, and so from context, I assumed this was something that someone would see on the BBC. So let, let me read the, the, story, the headline with slightly different inflection. Okay. So hundreds of, of memorabilia from the show, Only Fools and Horses, are being auctioned. Anywhere from Delboy's iconic cigar jar to Trigger's inflatable dolphin. So, Delboy and Trigger being two characters, and these are iconic set pieces around them. Do I want to know why Trigger has an inflatable dolphin? I, uh, you know, I'm really curious about that myself. Okay, so I thought, well, this is obviously something that Trey has watched. You know, it. <laughs> It, I, I know one of your favorite pastimes is disparaging my viewing habits, but I'm afraid I have to disappoint you on this one because this was a BBC sitcom from the early 80s. So See, that's right in your wheelhouse. It, it, that should be... I, I figured you'd have a T-shirt. Well, wait, wait until I tell you this. So I'm reading the show notes earlier this afternoon, and I'm, I'm going, What's, I've never heard of Only Fools and Horses. Let me check this out. 
And so I go down a rabbit hole and I find out, I was like, okay, where can, where can I watch an episode? Let me see if I can figure this out. And there's apparently a, str- a streaming subservice. So if, if you have Amazon Prime, you know that they've got, they've got all their content broken down into these channels now, like Freebie and, and all of these other ones. There's one called BritBox. And it's literally a compendium of shows going back to the 70s of British-made, typically BBC-produced television programs. And it's $6.99 a month. And I went looking through it. Yeah, I'd watch that. Ooh, I'm inter- I've am seen that before. I like that. I like that. I like that. So I may be getting a BritBox subscription. And if I do, this will be one of the shows I give a shot. It's funny because um, you and another guy that come here uh, are basically the same person. I've, I'm a little insulted. I <laughs> well, thought I was one of a kind. He has he has so much of the same inflection that you do. So and the fun, the funny thing is, I, I'm going to start calling him Weekend Trey because he's here on the weekends. He works through the week out of town. He's here on the weekends, and you're here through the week. I'm going to start calling him Weekend Trey because he likes all the stuff you did. You know, we were talking the other day, and we were talking about the TV show Ghosts. And he said, oh, I watched the BBC version of Ghost because that's so much better. I thought, that's such a Trey thing to say. I found out today that House of Cards was originally a BBC show. The Kevin Spacey drama. Yeah, how did they make that work out? Well, I'm sure Parliament's just as corrupt as American politics. Well, the show Being Human. Yeah. That had the vampire, the werewolf, and the ghost in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched the whole American series of it. Not great, but not a total waste of time. I I mean, you know, good, mediocre. You know, it wasn't so offensive that I gave it up, but it wasn't so great that I couldn't wait for the next one. Right. Um, And then there was a British version of it. That's the one I'm familiar with. And... So, if you watch the... Do you recommend watching the British version first or the American version? Or who made it first? So, the British version was first. But I don't I don't know that I know enough about either version that I could offer a recommendation. No, I'm... I'm, be, I'm pardon me. I'm speaking more generally. More generally. So, if you're looking at a show and you're like, okay, there's a British version and there's an American version of this show. Like Ghost. Right. I've never watched an episode of the American version or the British version of Ghost. Which one should I start with? You, personally, probably the American version. I have a, a love for the British sense of humor and British sensibilities and those types of things tend to hit my sense of humor just right compared uh, the office is a perfect example you know the first I can't get into the American office because I can't get past the first two seasons where it's a reference back to the original British office and watching Steve Carell trying to deliver Ricky Gervais lines just doesn't work for me so, in, in general, I'm going to say watch the British version first. And in, in most cases, that's the one that came first. Eddie Izzard, the stand-up comedian, has a great bit about that. Talking about, um, you know, British cinema being basically a room with a view and a staircase. And it's just people walking into rooms going, oh, uh, oh, oh. And then if it makes any sort of waves whatsoever, it gets bought by an American production company and it becomes the room with a view of hell, staircase of Satan, pond of death. Like, and, and, and so I think we do have a tendency to elevate for an American audience the things that they do. But by and large, I, I tend to prefer the British versions. Well, 
I feel about The Office kind of like you feel about Rick and Morty. It's hard for me to watch The Office because of the people that are fans of The Office. It's it, Friends is quickly becoming like that for me. Like I watched Friends when it was on TV. Mm-hmm. New, you know, it was appointment must see TV on Thursday nights on NBC. Like our and I was a big fan, and now it's cre- it's got this new life where people it's become a surrogate for people's personalities, and it's just it's getting tough. It's a, one of the amazing things about this culture we live in is how tribal people are becoming around the TV shows they watch. Is it is it a result of the you know the Onion? The, the news website, the fake news, satirical news website, The Onion, used to be hilarious. And I've noticed of late, the stuff that they can come up with often pales in comparison to actual reality in the kind of stuff that's going on. And is it just this collective schadenfreude that we have now by virtue of kind of the life we've all lived the last three years that... It's become more about the escapism of sitcoms as opposed to being, and and now it it it's triggering that center in people's brains where they want to be a part of it. Yeah, it's like Marvel movies. Yeah, Marvel movies have become very polarizing. It's hard for me to say. Okay, I didn't like Black Panther. I thought that Avengers was good. I thought that Iron Man was good. I didn't care for Ant Man. It's like, and people look at me like I'm crazy because they're like, okay, you're either into Marvel movies or you're not. Right. And they want you to declare a major. Game of Thrones, same thing, very polarizing. You can't say, uh, it was okay. You either have to say it was good or bad. Right. And it's funny how polarizing that we're getting to the point of the TV shows we watch are actually something. Breaking Bad. I can't join the Breaking Bad Club because I watched the first season and it was horrible. Yeah. I've never seen an episode. And, and every I, time I tell somebody that, they say, oh, it gets better in the second season. How would I know? I don't, and why would I know? I don't have time in my life for a show that's an acquired taste. You know, TV shows, especially now, run about an hour. For the ones that everyone loves, an hour plus if you're on a streaming service or, or HBO or something like that. And if I'm not into it, why am I going to burn an extra 30 hours of my life hoping to get into it? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't understand the... Um, it, it's just a fascinating part of what's happening in our culture that people are picking... You know, I guess we're out of problems. Or people are so tired of politics and the point of politics being who can scare their constituency the most to get them to do what they tell them. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was getting at earlier that life has become so unbearable, and I'm speaking in hyperbole, of course, but that that people use TV shows as as a form of escapism that now is so necessary, or they believe is so necessary because the you know the turmoil of their real life is so unbearable that they need something to fully immerse themselves in. And if you and if and if you can't get on board with that, then you're, in, in essence, denying their existence. That's the extent to which they take that as an offense. I'm not saying that's reality. I can see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I kind of see that. Okay, we talked enough about modern culture and TV shows. 
uh, from Sportskeeda will wrap it up with this. Rare colorized 75-year-old picture of Babe Ruth is taking the internet by storm. And, of course, he's smoking a cigar. So that's why it came up on my news feed. Right. So picture from 1947 when Ruth was 53 years old one year before he died, is now on the internet, and there he is. He's sitting there smoking a cigar. And to me, Babe Ruth is kind of amazing because he did all this without a diet. Without, I mean, let's let's even take the steroids out of the equation. Right. He did it without a trainer. He did it without diet. He did it without exercise. He just walked up and hit the ball. I mean, these guys were, were smoking cigarettes on the way to the batter's box. You know, there was... A lot of the, especially it, it less so by time Babe Ruth came around, but not long before that, these guys were working for moving companies in the off season because pro baseball paid so little. You know, these were people that were playing the game for the love of the game. So there was, yeah, you didn't have full time training schedules, and you weren't in the weight room, and and all of that stuff that we have now. Well, there's a long history of masked wrestlers being guys that played in the NFL and during the off season they would put on a mask and go to wrestle yeah and be wrestlers during that to make ends meet mm-hmm. so it's kind of funny when you think about how far we've come so should we adjust records based on the era so it it's really funny and i haven't looked at this specifically with baseball but if you look at sort of human endeavors in sporting. The Olympics are a great litmus test for this. Because you can see through, like, if you watch the world records for, let's say, Javelin, for example, it, it almost always follows this really just slow curve up, and then there's a spike. And there's another slow curve up, and then there's a spike. And in every single case, you can attribute that spike to a change in technology. So let's say the javelin got lighter or it got more aerodynamic or the invention of cleats in the long jump or what you know, the Olympics are great as to use for this because you can see, you know, uh, a long history of, of records. So we've reached a point in most sports now, I think, where we have we've reached the pinnacle of human capability. And any further improvement on world records is almost guaranteed to be brought on by technology. See, I don't agree with that because I don't think there is a max out of human capability. Well, yeah, there has to be, though. Like, let's take marathoning as an example. So there has long been held a belief that a sub-two-hour marathon is not possible. It's, it's absolutely humanly impossible to run that fast for that long. You know, we know that there is an upper limit to human capability. We can never run as fast as a horse, right? Like, there, there has to, no human is ever going to be able to run, you know, 45 miles per hour. It's just not going to happen. So we do know there's an upper limit. And, but over the course of the past, I think it started about four years ago, Nike got involved with... Um, the uh, I can never pronounce his name right, so I'm not going to do it. But the current world record holder for a marathon, he's a Kenyan guy who wins basically every race he enters. 
and they actually developed a shoe specifically for him. It, ha- it doesn't have a heel. It's got a carbon fiber plate in it. It's it's technology, and that's what we're talking about. The pinnacle of, of marathon running in human form on the planet right now, and it's going to take a bit of technology to get them across that line. But how many times have we seen somebody say, this is impossible until somebody does it, and then everybody does it? Right. How many times have we seen, you know, the you think about motocross and the flip on the motorcycle or freestyle or whatever that right. is. And everybody's oh, you can't do a flip on a motorcycle. You can't do a flip on a motorcycle. Somebody does it. Now everybody does it because they know it can be done. Now they're doing two. Right. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it applies with broad strokes to everything, right? Being able to do a backflip on a snowmobile is a thing now, you know, which we used to think was impossible. But I, I'm more thinking about the, the limits of human physicality, like running, jumping, well, you know, I've thought for years we needed to release a spear season for deer hunting. We have spear season, then we have archery, then we have muzzleloader, and then we have gun season. Because I would like to see the technology that would come out in spears. Would we have carbon fiber spears that had, you know, would they streamline the broadhead or barb it? Or how, would that, what, how far would technology go if we created a market for a spear season deer hunting? It, I, I think it would be phenomenal, especially, I mean, look at crossbows are a perfect example. Within the last, was it five, ten years, it used to be that you had to have a disability, a physical disability of some kind in order to legally hunt with a crossbow. They recently changed the laws that said, okay, anybody can hunt with a crossbow during archery season. And the technology advancements, now that more people are buying them, want to buy them, want to use them, has come a long, long way. Well, you know, you made a very, um, excuse me, you made a very saline point in here one night when you said, if everybody that needed hearing aids would buy hearing aids, hearing aids would be cheap. Yeah. And that that's kind of stuck with me because once you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. If if everybody, instead of saying, huh, or just missing out or reading lips or doing whatever they did, that needing a hearing aid would just go get a hearing aid, the price of hearing aids would go down. Well, think glasses are a perfect example. You know, when I was a kid, glasses weren't cool. And now... Probably 50% of people wear glasses. It's, it's not become a thing anymore. In fact, they've got all these cool friends. And, and I remember when I was in high school, a new pair of glasses cost $200. That's just what they cost. Right. I paid $63 for my last pair of glasses without insurance. That's just what they cost up because it's a numbers game. You know, the margins go down as the volume increases. And I guess that's, you know, I always say... It's a miracle we get cigars at the price we do. Mm-hmm. For the amount of work that goes into making a cigar, we should never complain about the price we pay to smoke a cigar. Yeah, it, it's true. When you think about, especially in a time of unprecedented inflation, and we are seeing price increases on cigars, but nothing like what we're seeing on other consumer goods. Certainly not beef and dairy. And that's competition. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of free market economy and the beauty of competition. It brings out the best in everyone. And, you know, we've, I've had that argument numerous times as it retains to public schools and to a million other topics that if anything that doesn't have competition sucks. 
by if, and large. If you don't make it competitive, there's no reason for people to do better. So that's just a, a fascinating thing, and that brings me back to this cigar that I'm smoking. In a competitive, this cigar won't be around long. Right. I don't think this cigar will last a long time because Drew Estate has better cigars. Altadis has better cigars. Um, this cigar for me is a five. You know what's interesting to me? I'm surprised you rated it that it's high. It's a generous five. That's a, that is a generous five, considering it's, all you've said about it. Mm-hmm. The uh, the price point's giving it an extra half a point, I feel like. The price point, understanding that they they had to shoot for this price point. Because right. they could have sold these at $18 a stick. Yeah. There would have been people bought them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because there's a remarkable overlap between cigar smokers and fans of Metallica. Have you ever noticed that? Like, you think of Metallica being sort of a fringe fandom just in terms of music. And it, I guess... They became mainstream enough that it's not the case anymore. But I know tons of people in the cigar industry that are fans of Metallica and, and just kind of metal in general. Well, Metallica hit at a bad time. They kind of hit at the tail end of the metal boom and right before the... Yeah, but you wouldn't know who Pantera was if it weren't for Metallica. I still don't know who Pantera was. <laughs> my, my, my point is they... They kept the entire genre alive. They were just mainstream enough that they had the staying power. But the cigar, yeah, I'm giving it a generous five. A five is me being very generous, but I'm giving it a five. What are you rating your Aganor Salif? Five is good, not great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this would be a generous five. I'm not... It's just not doing much for me. And and I'm willing to admit that I may be playing some part of that given the fact that I'm not on a fresh palate. But it's just not... It's it's better than not smoking. But I don't know by how much. Yeah, I mean, if you were at my shop in Nome, Alaska, and I'd that was it. all that, had, <clears throat> that you had the access to get there, you'd probably smoke one and watch Northern Lights. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and that's a bucket side of it. Of yeah, I'd probably be glad of it to have it at that point. Right. But how do they get hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast and email info at the cigarcast.com. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us.